Listeners, you're invited to stream and listen to Jawson's music on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, Audio Mac, or Deezer. Type in J-A-U-S-A-N in the search for artists to follow and like modern instrumental music from his discography. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Romantic Truth Podcast. Please be advised that the content of this show is for mature audiences 18 and over due to the topics discussed. Please feel free to follow and like Romantic Truth on Facebook at facebook.com slash romantic truth. You may also listen to the podcast on anchor.fm slash romantic truth. Now, here is your host Jawson. everyone, Johnson with you here, Romantic Truth Las Vegas, hope everyone's doing well. We're going to talk about a serious subject today, one that um, needs to be addressed and brought up, because uh, some of you have written in about this particular issue, and it has to do with African Americans and dating. Some of you who are not African American have written in about certain questions in regards to maybe considering dating an African American male or female or in some way just curious about certain things. Now, what I did all of the um, brain dead stereotypical questions I didn't bother responding. So, those of you who wrote in some ridiculous questions you're going to listen to the show to find your answer here is the thing degree of melanin in people's skin has dictated how they've been treated by society now in that treatment throughout our history in this country there are different levels of treatment that some African Americans receive over others some worse than others there was really no consistency not even in slavery or anything else as far as the treatment of people overall outside of the laws being implemented that made sure that all of them had limited access to society limited access to pretty much decency. That was universal. The individual trauma and emotional abuse that each slave had to face had an impact on how a lot of people deriving from them would perceive themselves in society. Now, I know this is a heavy lift for some, but hear me out. When we look at the emotional pain that many of these people went through, my ancestors, many of you who are African American, your ancestors, there were certain things that they didn't want you to forget through a legacy the struggle the humiliation 
the bondage. I was fortunate in the sense that my father was not too far away from slavery himself. Only true generation. So with that, I understood that we're dealing with things that are like legacy issues. You see, the pain that many African Americans feel, especially African American women, and I'm not speaking for everyone, so please don't come at me with that bullshit. A lot of them are stuck with the frustration and the pain of they supported men that never got to a level of respect in society. And they've been waiting. During slavery, they waited. After Reconstruction, they waited. But here's the thing. No matter how the legislatures created the laws, black men were never going to see the light of day when it came down to power or leadership for the most part. It was going to have to be an individual effort. You get in the lane that's going to be best for you. But collectively, it was not going to happen. Unfortunately, the mindset of collectivism within the African American community still exists today. And unfortunately, with this mindset, a lot of people are actually holding themselves back from success, and others are feeling guilty when they are successful. You know, when a person becomes famous and wealthy, they're looked upon as if they're, oh, you're going to just forget about us back here. And many of them wind up going back to where they were before. And they haven't pulled anyone out of poverty. Well, people learn from those experiences. But the thing is, the African-American community is not in a monolith. And it's an oxymoron to call it a community because you have different people. You just have a group of people that's on television that society acknowledges as being black leaders but that doesn't necessarily mean that it was a boat to put these people in front of the camera. They just took advantage of the opportunity. And of course, what white mainstream society has done is said, okay, let's see if we can find one that speaks proper English, who is presentable, who's non-threatening, and we'll put that person as their spokesman. Now, the sad thing is, a lot of this pain that many African Americans uh, have, it's internalized, and they hurt each other. And some of them have it where they would never say things to a person of a different race that they would say to their own 
people in their own race. You know the old um, mammy stereotype from the South. Remember that? You see it in almost every movie. You saw it in The Color Purple. You saw it in Roots. There was always a black man that was inept that his woman ran him and told him what to do. And what we don't realize is that when it comes to black men, that's a very hurtful thing. Because at no point could they be empowered. And we got to face it, during that time, white men thought it was entertaining for a black man to have his wife or his girlfriend to tell him what to do to get him straight. Because he was no threat to the white man because the black woman had him under her thumb. And she thought she was really doing something. But she was actually exercising her frustration for him being so docile. And what happened, the black man became marginalized, as he is today by black women. What are they calling you fellas? They're calling you gay. They're calling you all kind of shit. A buster. And the reason why they're doing this is because it's been normalized throughout the centuries. This didn't start just yesterday. This didn't just start. This has been going on for a while. And even when we talk about the golden age, we talk about the 1960s and 70s. Let me tell you about some of the things in the 60s. I was a kid then. I was a small kid. I remember walking by Jackson State one day. It was Jackson College at the time. Florida State really put the name on it. And there was this guy that had been had his ass whooped. And it looked like it was by a white cop. The black woman was there to hold him his girlfriend trying to get him away from the police officer and the interesting thing was that she was trying to plead with the cops and she was trying to tell the man to shut up at the same time she gave a damn about her man but at the expense of his dignity. I think what has happened in our society, we have become so comfortable disrespecting each other that we call each other the N-word so cavalierly, even in these comedians' jokes. And we fail to realize that it's not funny. It's not a name that we gave ourselves. It's a name that was imposed upon us because we were considered threatening. 
And again, it was a way of marginalizing us. If you look at any irritant, chiggers, jiggers, the N-word falls right in line with them. The name itself marginalizes people. This is something that we have embraced unwittingly, and now we realize that there's a price to pay for it. It seems like we go and make an extra effort to hurt each other emotionally. We do it a lot. We have to talk bad or cut someone down. Now, where did that come from? Well, you know what? Guess what slave owners used to do? When they wanted a little excitement, a little recreation. My slave's better than your slave. My plantation is better than your plantation. Or my farm is better than yours. They would pit the slaves against each other based on the loyalty to their master. Again, this is something that we have still yet to grow out of. We're still at that point. We minimize others' efforts. You know, I'll give an example of this in particular. When I started this podcast, all but two people who were African American supported me. Everyone else told me something negative. Everyone else that was black. I had a few. Caucasian friends, I let them know about the idea. A couple of Asian friends. The Caucasian friends asked me, well, what is it going to be about? And I gave them a brief overview. They said, oh, that might be kind of interesting. My Asian friend said, just give me the URL. I'll go there. No matter what. My African-American friends, why are you doing this? You're wasting your time. Nobody's going to listen to you. Oh yeah, it was totally negative. Except for those other two friends. This is the reason why I tell you. You cannot treat the African American community as a monolith. It's not. It has a lot of faction. And the reason why things don't get accomplished, for the most part, for the community, has a lot to do with there's so many factions that they only agree on the big shit, but the shit that really matters is on the smaller level. So when they go to the Democratic Party, Democratic Party, they tell you exactly what you're going to have, whether you like it or not. This is what we're going with. We know better than you. And yes, they're still overseers in many ways, and the Republicans have nothing better. But those are the people that didn't want to be in the party anyway, didn't want to be around blacks. For the most part, separatists. But those same separatists, some of them who were extreme, did not want to have anything to do with black folks. And we have to remember, 
We look at the AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal Church. I think it was founded in 1618, something like that, in Philadelphia. Well, John Wesley, those folks, influenced American religion. So, Methodism was something that during that time, and this was before white folks were designated as white folks, which meant rich white people, not just any white person, in 1660. Well, prior to that, There were black people trying to, uh, well, they were integrated into the regular Methodist church until whites decided the wealthier ones. They didn't want blacks in there with them. And they had them removed. And so, from that, there was a level of equality that, that was just not palatable to them. How dare you pray to the same God I do? Your prayers are not going to be heard because you're filthier than I am. You're darker than I am. You're of a lesser class than I am. But if you notice, all of this imposition has been the interpretation of white society as far as how they perceive God to be kind of interesting. God spoke to all these people supposedly, or had some sort of way of communicating with them biblically during all of those times, through all of that history. And yet we haven't heard a voice on on high say anything to us recently. So when something is left to interpretation, people can have their own philosophy about it. question I get a lot of times. Why are black folks so dedicated to religion? Believe it or not, it has very little to do with religion and salvation. It has more to do with the fact that churches were used as a form of communication. That was one of the only places you could actually speak and think freely. Where the white man respected and didn't feel as though you were up to no good. So, being that you were there, and you're talking about issues that were messed up, whatever they were, as long as you were perceived as being harmless, they had no problem. When they saw you as any kind of threat, that was a big issue. So, a lot of people would go to church Not for the blessing, but for the peace. And they would get there, and the pastor could say some things that most of the other congregants couldn't. Because they knew they were held to pay. So when a Martin Luther King comes along, a lot of people are shocked. Because He's speaking the sentiments of people. And what did a lot of those folks do back then? We 
need to crave for them. Because if you fell out of the norm, they'd offer their prayers, but that was about it. And they'd support you, but you had to leave. Malcolm X. You had to leave. And see, the problem with uh, Malcolm was that he was in the north. And the problem there was they didn't quite understand some of the things that were going on in the south. The complacency. And we used to have people to come down south from New York and Chicago and Detroit talking big shit about what they were going to do. They did nothing. Got on the buses and went back home. Leaving the same situation there. You will notice self-esteem is another issue. A lot of uh, Caucasian men that have been to this show ask this question about African American men, women. And a sense of Superiority, in some sense when it comes down to dealing with them. I'm talking about the African American woman with the white man in the sense that she's confident, she's happy that she's with him, but it seems like her confidence goes away when he's not there. Now, in some cases that is the case because they may only respect her as long as she's with him. And then when she's without him, like going to a country club or somewhere like that where her husband's a member, they may not treat her the same as they treated him. And these things may vary. There are some minorities, some African Americans in particular, that they think by marrying in a different race, it's going to in some way bring them up in status. But then there are others who believe that if I have a child with that person of a different race, I'm going to break the color barrier. And finally, the legacy of what I've had, the burden I had to carry all those years will be vindicated by this child, this biracial child. Yes, there are people that think that way. What the African-American community, by and large, have tried to do throughout the years, decades, is keep all of our problems to ourselves. At least in the past. But a lot of people are saying that that's never been the case in the first place. Martin Luther King explained exactly what was going on. But he was going through a method of not being threatening or anything else. And that's the reason why he got more airplay. That's the reason why he got the ear of a lot of people. Violence and militancy never worked. It would never work. Now, the other thing. That lack of support that I talked about with the endeavor for just this this show in general, I've seen it done when it came down to hiring people. 
with my crews when I would hire people for projects, I didn't care about skin color. I was concerned with qualifications. I didn't give a damn whether you had a southern twang or whether you had a British accent. Didn't matter to me. As long as you could do the job and you were proficient. But there were other people that I saw personally that wouldn't hire blacks. They wouldn't say it. But we knew. And sometimes I would see them roll the candidates over to me. Because it's like, oh, okay, they didn't want them, so I'm getting this person's reject. And a couple of them I hired because they were good people. They were good, had good credentials. And there were others that didn't measure up. But it wasn't based on their race. Now, there's another childish thing that exists and lingers in the African-American community. The shaming thing. Women love doing that to men. And only black men, though, for the most part. And here is the problem with that. It helps marginalize men in general within the African-American community. And it also underscores the disrespect that has been a legacy thing with African-American women and black men for centuries. Now, there are some young uh, black men out there that are upset with African-American women, calling them the right hand of white supremacy. Let me tell you why they're doing this. They look at the fact that the black woman slept with the master. Whether or not it was under duress, she did it. She also was the person that always provided comic relief for the white man when it came down to being a harpo or something like that. That stereotype of the henpecked black man. And then in the present day, to be brought down the way they are by black women out of their frustration because there's not enough black men to go around for black women. Whether we like it or not, you can match every white, every black woman with every black man in this country. You still run short by a million and a half, if not more. They're the numbers from the census. So, what are you having now? You're having women that would normally not date certain types of men winding up getting pregnant by these guys. Some of them in multiple ways. These are things that we don't think about, but have had a lasting impact on us. My father used to tell me about things that they had to go through. In the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. So, I had a broad perspective. He told me about his childhood as a kid in Mississippi. 
how he used to see two people, two black men there, that wanted to volunteer for World War One, And everybody thought they were crazy. But they thought that they'll go get into the military, get that uniform, and they'll get that respect. Not so much. You see, even the black man has tried to join the military even during World War II, I mean, not World War II, but before that. Revolutionary War, Civil War. Still wouldn't respect it. Trying to fit in, trying to qualify himself, trying to show his loyalty. Pretty much like people in East India try to do with the British. Trying to show that loyalty. And no matter what effort you put forth, the people still had that bias. You may want that, but you're still black. But see, when you can control the narrative, you can dictate always what's good and what's bad. Now, if it was in reverse, the black people enslaved whites, then being black would be good and being white would be bad. But of course, it's not that way. It's the opposite. For the most part. But thank goodness this is not universal, even though there's some universal overtures and links to that philosophy. They're quick to cut each other down. I guarantee you, after this podcast goes out, the majority of people that are going to be throwing barbs are going to be black people. Black men are going to tell me, oh, you know, you just don't see it from my perspective, blah, blah, blah. Black women will say, you don't know shit, blah, 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 blah. That's the way it usually goes. I'm not picking a fight with anybody. And you don't get on this show by emotional beat. It doesn't work that way. A lot of black folks are faced with emotional abuse. Now, this I can attest to because I dated a lot of black women that had gone through some serious emotional shit from molestation, which was one of the lighter things that some of them had to go through compared to some of the tougher shit they had to go through. There was a girl I dated. She had this scar on her neck. And that's the reason why she wore her hair so long. And I used to compliment her on her hair. And then one day, I went and... I was playing in her hair and I went to kiss her and she took my hand and threw it off of her neck and I said what's wrong she says I know you 
really like my hair and everything, but I'm not ready to show you my pain. Her pain was her mom one day, because she wouldn't sit still, and she was only like, I think seven. She took her hot comb and pressed it against her neck because she wouldn't sit still. And she held it there until she wouldn't move. And every time she would wiggle, when she started wiggling, when the mom first put it on her neck, she would just hold it there. And her mother would tell her, quit moving. And I'd take it off. It was a bad scar. And we talked about plastic surgery for it. And she was like, no. She said, I want this to be a symbol. And another thing, we don't talk about mental illness in the community. There's a lot of that. And we sit there and we laugh at people. I remember that time on Crenshaw, right over there by uh, what was Santa Barbara, now it's MLK. In front of that Louisiana fried chicken. Fix a Popeyes now. There was a lady that was butt naked there at the, at the bus stop. Black lady. They laughing at her. Talking about her. I'm talking a whole community of people. Nobody called the police to help this woman. Nobody called. Nothing. Finally, I decided to call. They took their time coming. And when they did, she was a regular didn't have any kind of confrontation with her. She got in the back of the car, they put a blanket over the green 5150. That's been our problem. And that's a legacy, believe it or not, of detachment from slavery. We don't like to look at it that way. And I know philosophically, some of you psychologists and psychiatrists are going to say, man, you're out there with this shit. But if this is all you've known over generation after generation after generation is to capitalize on the misfortune of others and it all begins some of the most hostile environments you could possibly think of, such as a plantation or even on a ship in the Middle Passage. Those things don't go away. People pass things on. And I'm not talking DNA or genetics. I'm talking about through teachings, through observation, through behavior.
So you start seeing the emotional abuse. And then some of the kids are faced with it in school. A lighter skinned black girl may be called, oh, you you looking all pretty. Not because she's pretty, but because she's of a lighter skin tone and may have longer hair. Somebody who's a little bit darker may have an inferiority complex because in their family, she may be called something derogatory. And so therefore, she feels as though it's justified with her to go and express her jealousy or her envy or her angst or hatred towards that lighter skinned person. Oh, I used to hear it all the time. We used to have to protect some of the girls when I was a kid. They were going to cut that nice long hair. We are going to get that pretty face beat up a bit. Now, when it came to dark-skinned men and light-skinned men, it was not that kind of rival. But what would happen? A lot of dark-skinned women wouldn't date a lighter, a darker-skinned black man. Now, I've had that happen to me several times. One black lady told me straight up at a mixer, she said, oh, no, I'm not in a black man. She said, what can we do? Have a dark baby. What would it get us? And she was adamant about it. And I thought she was just bullshit. And I didn't think people thought like that. But she did. She did. And there's some frustration in the community because you go and try to support a black business and that black business is charging you more than any other business. But you're trying to support them and then the service is second rate or even the food is cold. Those kind of things. And you're caught in the crossroads because you want to support them but yet they're not measuring up. And you'd be doing them a disservice to falsely patronize them. And this is what a lot of them don't realize. And then, of course, you always had the black person that we use. Well, you know, we both black. The two ways you ever get fucked over in life, and trust me, I've been there, has been trusting somebody who said that they're black like you. They're using that as the intro. And the other one is that they're a Christian. Guarantee you'll get fucked over if you're not careful. I'd rather meet an atheist that doesn't say a damn thing. Them more. Now, the other inferiority complex portion of this that you'll run into, there are some African Americans that will defer to whites for anything. So, they can ask a black person a question. And this black person is trying to give this other black person an answer. Well, nope. If a white man's there, a white man could say, I don't know. That I don't know for some some black people is better than a an informative answer from a black person. They will listen to that white man 
or white woman before they would listen to that black person because there's a certain sense of social devaluation in some African Americans. Now what I'm saying here can apply to also other ethnic groups and racial groups. But there are some components that many other people can relate to. The reason why I'm going through this is because of the fact that we got to remember a lot of minorities derive some of the same characteristics without the slavery component for the most part but some of the same characteristics as the black minority. Now see, what you have to realize too is this. We are the epitome of what's wrong with the world and society as far as um, what separatists see. But that's through their lens only. Now, there's another perception too. There's some African Americans that believe that there's this conspiracy among white people just to do away with black people and annihilate them all together. Well, here's the problem. With any conspiracy, guess what you have a problem with? If more than one person knows about the conspiracy, it's not a conspiracy. The other issue is this. Why are they separating themselves from other whites that don't have the wealth they do? It seems as though if, if it was going to be a conspiracy, all of the white folks with money would get together. Or at least all of them would get together in general. But they're doing the same thing they did prior to the Civil War. Yes, Bobby might be that guy that doesn't like blacks or whatever and lives in a trailer park. But guess what? The wealthy white folks that need Bobby to vote for them, the last thing they're going to do is have Bobby in their house. The last thing they're going to do is have Bobby work for their company. The one thing that they will do with Bobby is to get him out there, get him motivated, get him riled up, and get him out there voting for whatever legislation they want to have passed. But he's not going to have a beer with that guy. And so what happens? The white working class winds up being exploited again by the wealthy white elites. Just like they did during the Civil War. You see, we both were losers. Both The people are descendants of slaves and those who were descendants of those in the South that thought that they had lost something and America owed them something. A victory, mind you. What both groups lost then was... They lost from the standpoint of, sad to say, not asserting their influence. Now, the slave, of course, didn't have any influence whatsoever. But what I'm saying, though, is that working class white back then, instead of being upset with the slaves, what they should have done was been upset with the slave owners that hired them, that bought them, not hired them. And they should have asked for a prevailing wage. But of course, they didn't because they thought it was going to be a big payoff at the end. And they gave them a consolation prize as being socially more acceptable than blacks. Well, that didn't go far as far as uh, putting food on the table, did it? So what you had was 
after the Civil War. Free blacks who were kind of figuring out things. They had working class whites. They were upset and fearful of the black folks being out. Oh my God, they're going to be our equal. But if they would have worked together, they wouldn't have had the problems we have now. By and large, they wouldn't. Because both of them are paralleling the same problem. Don't realize it yet. And it's both has to do with economics. And what you notice with many societies, when the economy's booming, crime, violence, and all that shit kind of goes by the wayside for a while. Interesting. But this is just something for you to think about, folks. Because, as I told you, we have to start treating each other better. Berating and belittling each other. Some women are going in claiming that they're victims when they're the provocateur. And it sends mixed messages to men. Okay, what are you what are you trying to say? You're a strong woman here, but you want to be protected there? Make up your fucking mind. And this is what we're tired of. And I know there are plenty of black women that are frustrated because many of these black men are dating other women of other races. And I'm going to tell you, ladies, as I told you before, it's the attitude. It's not about the skin color. It's not about the eyes. It's not about none of that shit. It's about the attitude. We don't need a negative attitude. By the way, why don't you take a look at some of the films and some of the TV shows in Hollywood? What roles do most of the black men play? Feminized roles. We're the only two people right now that are black that's really in the theaters. Will Smith, maybe Denzel. Samuel L. Jackson. Now, when it comes to white men, where do we start? Tom Cruise, George Clooney, you can go down the list. Johnny Depp, you can go down the list. What I'm getting at is what has happened now, they've feminized black men in such a way that the only way you're going to get into movies now and television, you have to be this feckless, harmless black man. I was not impressed with Wakanda, Wakanda forever. Look, you can make all the Wakanda movies you want to. That's all make-believe. And what we're supposed to be thankful that they allowed us to have a movie for our own people. You know, we had that same mindset when Superfly came out. We had that same mindset when all of those black exploitation movies came out. Norman Lear and those folks with them. Look, here's what you're going to have to realize. Being patronized is one thing. Being fucked over is totally another. 
Folks, what I'm telling you is this. Open your eyes, open your mind, start thinking. And quit being so damn emotional. Because our emotions have hurt us so much. Generation after generation, we've been tearing each other down. Marginalizing each other, treating each other like shit. And getting absolutely nowhere with it. Berating each other. Talking about poverty and all this. A couple of emails I got. There's a couple of white guys asking me, why do black women always want to go and foul this shit? And these guys date black women on a regular basis. But when they go out with a white girl, she's not talking about going buying Gucci and all that. Well, of course, it has a lot to do with exposure. And people sometimes think, hey, I have no value. Let me associate myself with a brand name or label so I can have value associated with me. Instead of realizing their value comes from themselves, not from a damn label. If anything, you have the label chase you. Michael Jordan did it. Tiger Woods did it. Oh, that's right, I forgot. Y'all won't count Tiger because he's biracial. Kobe Bryant did it. What I'm getting at is sometimes you could define yourself as who you are and people will come. You look at Muhammad Ali. Well, Muhammad Ali said he wasn't going to Vietnam and I remember that show on Dick Cabot. He wasn't going on to Vietnam. Ozzie Davis, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Jim Brown were there. Standing by this man. Because this man made a definitive decision that he wasn't going because he didn't have no beef with those people over there. And he was right. He was absolutely right. Because what we did in Vietnam... We fucked up. Well before the soldiers came, well before the troops came, the agreement was that within a two-week period, we were supposed to come up with a comprehensive way where Vietnam could have voted whether they wanted to be democratic or whether they wanted to go communist. That's what it was initially. Not to mention, back in the 1940s, when MacArthur came back into the Philippines and throughout Indochina, Ho Chi Minh, when he went into Indochina, asked MacArthur, he was on the ground asking MacArthur to leave American troops there because they didn't know what the Chinese were going to do. They didn't know what the people that had sided with the Chinese were going to do. And at that time, it was only around eight people that were considered to be North Vietnamese led by a woman and as we know had we kept our promise with Vietnam for them to choose their fate and kept that deadline for that two week period we would have never had the Vietnam War if we would abide it by what we had supposed to deliver diplomatically. 
we did. We escalated. And McNamara added gasoline to the fire. Kennedy knew he didn't want to go into Vietnam. It was a quagmire. There was no way out. We should have learned our lesson from Korea. But we were spreading democracy like it was a religion. And that was the problem. Going against the Soviet influence. Communism. Well, if people really, really thought about it, it was no way in hell communism would have been able to make it under its own weight. Why do you think the United States was so successful in general? It's because it didn't try to own every goddamn thing. It wanted to have it privatized. When you have these communist systems where they're trying to have the government own everything, you're bound to fail. You're bound to fail. Well, folks... You've heard it. And um, I know it's coming. But what I wanted to do was to just kind of give you an idea of what's going on. Now, another thing that I'm going to talk about here is um, foreclosing. Flair Hayden. Look. That's another thing that we need to really (laughs) come off of. The jealousy aspect. The one-upsmanship. Trying to berate somebody. And I just never understood the concept of somebody trying to talk about somebody else and they're both wearing knockoff jewelry and knockoff couture. Let it go. We got enough damage going on as it is. Take care, folks. Love you. Keep the faith. And we'll talk to you on tomorrow. We at Romantic Truth appreciate your listenership. Listeners, you're invited to stream and listen to Jawson's music on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, Audio Mac, or Deezer. Type in J-A-U-S-A-N in the search for artists to follow and like modern instrumental music from his discography. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those solely of the host and are not condoned, or endorsed by Romantic Truth, Anchor or any of its affiliates. The advice given herein is the expressed opinion of the host and not to be used for legal, marital, or family, counseling, or for professional practice purposes, in the event for professional assistance. Please contact the local licensed professional family counselor, marriage counselor or social services professional in your region. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. Be advised that all of the background music of production not provided by Anchor is owned by James Adams and Jaws and One Music exclusively licensed for this Romantic Truth podcast under waiver. Please understand that there were no people or animals hurt in the segments of this show including plants. 
All sound effects were improvised in the studio setting with props. We are an equal opportunity employer with two Yorkie poodles and a rad terrier as the security detail. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.